This is Interviews with Technical People with John Robertson and James Avio, a podcast where we interview technical people in STEM fields to discuss the past, present, and future from their perspective. And today we're joined by Sasha Derry and Seth Lockman of Blue Shift Aerospace. Sasha, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. Same. And we'll start just by saying congratulations um, on your recent launch of Stardust 1.0. So um, would you two mind just giving really brief introductions for yourself? And then we'd love to talk about um, what went down with your recent launch and uh, tell us about your company a little bit. Well, let's start with introductions. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm Sasha Derry. I'm the CEO of BlueShift and founder. Uh, we started BlueShift back in 2014. Um, and it's been a long journey to this point. Uh, this... Uh, this launch just on the 31st of January was apparently it was a world record in terms of uh, the first commercial, truly commercial launch of a rocket using uh, bio-derived fuels. And uh, man, what a, what a milestone. We're very excited. Hi, I'm Seth Lockman, communications director at Blue Shift and fellow alumnus of the main school of science and mathematics. Uh, as I speak, it is uh, just about maybe 10 minutes away, just off base here. Um, so good to see you again, James. You too, Seth. And, uh, it, it has been, uh, a real, a real journey to, to get here. So I've, I've just been, um, really privileged to be along for the ride and, and sharing the story of Blue Shift. And people who listen to the show know that I love to talk about Maine. And I believe this was the first, uh, commercial space launch, uh, ever to occur in Maine. Yeah, yes. that was very exciting. Yeah, so uh, yeah, just world records don't matter, but within Maine, now yeah. we're <laughs> Maine records do matter. We're hoping to be the second one too. Yeah. Oh, another record that's kind of Maine-ish. This is, uh, we believe, the first rocket in world history uh, that was recovered by snowmobile. <laughs> really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Absolutely true. Perhaps by two truck liners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so actually, I got to put kudos out there to the Bouchard family who uh, recovered the rocker, volunteered the day before. Actually, I would say that uh, the, the grandfather volunteered uh, his son and grandchildren to do this. Um, and they, they buttoned up. I guess they went out and found two truck liners, uh, buttoned them up together. It was a perfect fit for the Stardust as it separated into two, you know, two different sections. It was a perfect fit for the two of them. They had it back there at Mission Control for us to hand back our payloads to our customers within, what, maybe 30 minutes? It was, wow. It was a fast recovery. And we, you know, we almost pegged a SpaceX uh, launch on the pad, too, but our landing on the pad, too. Yeah, how far <laughs> downrange did it land? They landed, what, maybe, what do you think, Seth? Maybe 300 meters, not even? Uh, yeah, I was going to guess between 100 and 200 feet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'd, we'd done maybe... Gosh, thousands of um, simulations of where where it might possibly land based upon different failure modes. Uh, so this was probably the best outcome we could we could hope for. And, I, and I'll tell you, just looking at the launch, you know, kind of as an outsider, it looked wonderful. You know, uh, especially for a first launch, um, you practically expect things to go wrong, but it, it from the outside it, it looked excellent. Um, and it so was. certainly we'll, we'll we'll post a the, the the link to the video in the feed so everyone at home can also watch, but. So real, so real quick, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this rocket? Um, so we've heard now it's uh, the first in Maine, but uh, so this is the vehicle that you've been developing for some time now. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yeah, so it's it's powered by uh, the bio-derived fuel. It's it's a fuel that it's a we, we're doing a hybrid rocket. Um, well, all of our rockets will be hybrid, and that's where the fuel is solid and the oxidizer in this case is liquid. Uh, our our actual fuel substance is uh, proprietary, but it's uh, it's very close to carbon neutral. And the only reason why I say it's not truly carbon neutral is I'm sure that trucks that use petroleum had to carry this around, including our own. So you could say from that standpoint, it's not carbon neutral, but you, you effectively need very little to no pesticides in the making of it. Is the, is the fuel locally sourced at all? You know, people, people get asked me that question all the time. Well, I say all the time in the last week, a yeah. lot. Um, I think we will from here on out. Uh, the okay. fuel, even though the fuel technically costs less than traditional rocket fuel, RP1, it's actually more energy dense, completely non-toxic. Um, it's actually, it actually represents a really small portion of the cost to build a rocket. So right. the fact that if we pay a little more just to lo- locally source it, I think that's a great idea. I think it's something you, we should go after. Do you make the fuel yourself or do you process it yourself or do you just buy it, you know, ready to launch? We, we, uh, we buy the, the raw substances and then we, we make the fuel ourselves. That's fair. We, we spin it up into the grain. Yeah. I, it's just it's fascinating to me that you could buy uh, rocket fuel from a grocery store now. I'll give you the hint that you can't you can't exactly get it in a grocery store, but it's close. It's close. It's close. But right. Um, so, how long have you been developing this system, this bio derived system? Because I'm assuming there were kind of two different development streams, right? The rocket itself, and then also kind of the propulsion system, which is based on the bio derived fuels. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a good question. So. It, we actually started, I actually started doing this before BlueShift existed in 2013. And I was doing little small hybrid engine tests with a buddy of mine from University of Southern Maine, Aaron Lewis. And uh, we, we actually had done just a couple of tests during one Saturday. And we were at my brother's farm. And I sat down, this is in Maine, and sat down uh, at his kitchen. And I looked on his windowsill and I saw this certain substance. And I thought, Man, it would be really cool if that substance could work, you know, almost as well as the petroleum substance we were using. And I mean, it would be a great story to tell that we're using something that's more sustainable for our rocket fuel. Let's give it a try. Two weeks later, we spun up the uh, the fuel grain, or we call it fuel cores, and um, tried out the tried out the engine. And it, it immediately was very clear that it was higher performing. Uh, we were onto something. So it took us from that point. It took us about three years to fuel to to fully test the fuel and actually optimize the the mixtures and get a really optimal blend. And that was thanks to some grants we got from uh, the Maine Technology Institute here. So it took us three years to do that, and then um, and then we started building up our engines, and uh, then ultimately we got a grant from NASA to f- to fully develop our engine, what we call the Marvel engine, M A R E V L. And uh, that was a lot of work. That took a year, and the man was that stressful, um, trying to hit all the the milestones. I say it was a year because we actually started months. We we got a pre start to uh, to the grant that we got because we knew we were we had an aggressive timeline. So it took a long time to figure out how to make an engine that not only first it was figure out how to combust stably, and that was not easy. To make an engine that doesn't go chug, 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 chug. And if you look at some of the hidden videos tucked away in our YouTube channels, you'll see some chugging, <laughs> uh, some chugging engines. 
I- um, interesting. So, so it was kind of like you, you first demonstrated that the fuel was, was uh, you know, fundamentally good from an energetics perspective. And then yep. it's a matter of packaging it into an engine that works. Yep. Yeah. Reliably. If you look off to the course of history, uh, you know, there's been tons of, of research and development around liquid fuel engines and lots around solids. There's been some around hybrids, but not much. Not nearly as much. And there's a little bit of a magic into kind of developing an engine will actually stably combust a hybrid engine, uh, a hybrid motor. And then then the next part was to get the performance up. We had to get the what's called a specific impulse up to a point that was acceptable for us to do the next step, which we did. We, we met our objectives for hitting 250 seconds uh, specific impulse. And we believe we can go up um, at least 25, 50 seconds higher. Uh, and that's what enabled us to fundamentally get to the point where we said, okay, let's build a rocket and launch it with customers. Truth is, it really was, it was our investors that told us that. They said, or potential investors, they said, there's like over 100, 120, 140 cost, uh, companies out there developing rockets. Uh, everybody's stuck and developed the rocket engine phase. Talk to us when you actually launch something. We don't care if you launch something a mile up. Just prove that you can build a rocket, put your engine in it add some customers, deliver their payloads back, then we'll talk. That's exactly what we did on the 31st of January. And guess what we're doing now? <laughs> Talking to investors. <laughs> it's time time to get to the bigger stuff. Prove that we can launch something. Yes. That's why I think one thing I thought of is, you know, launching a rocket is pretty hard. You know, you're pushing something straight up. And, you know, I think with this new fuel, you feel I feel like rocket engines have already been optimized elsewhere. I mean, is there a is there a loss of power with a different rocket fuel, or have you really been able to get that up to where it needs to be so you can get an efficient launch, maybe to orbit? Yeah, so we know that even with the engine the size that it is, we can certainly get something to orbit. Um, will our will our rocket be a little bit more of a chunky monkey? Yep. <laughs> okay. But the the idea is, um, you know, I think as engineers, you know, we're all we're engineers. I'm speaking like everybody who's engineers and or in the tech industry. There's a real desire to like seek the optimal performance and the best of the best and get the in this case, you know, the highest ISP you possibly can. And there is utility behind that. It's important. Um, but you know, just like in the world of like making PCs, the CPUs. You, if you go for like the ultimate CPU, you pay a lot more. Same thing with rockets. You know, rockets. You try to get the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate performance. There's a cost to that. So we're trying. To, we're not trying to become like the Formula F1 like racing engine of rockets. We're trying to become more like a Toyota Camry, where it's like it just performs well. It may be not the sleekest. It may not be the uh, highest performing. It just does the trick and gets us there at a at a reasonable cost. Would you say that it's uh less expensive to produce the bio-derived fuel than it would be from a traditional aerospace fuel? Mm-hmm. Like is, is, are there cost differences there? I think fundamentally because you, it's far less, you know, far less refining that's required to, um, to, to do this. So my guess is that's part of it. And, you know, the scale at which our bio-derived fuel is being refined is far lower than, you know, petroleum. So I imagine if you could do it at the same magnitude, uh, it would definitely be at petroleum. Yeah. And, and also, I just want to highlight, like, how often do you come across a, a more eco-friendly way of doing things that's also an emerging technology that's also yes. just out of the gate cheaper than, you know, your current supply lines and production methods, like industry standard? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty exciting all around. Yeah. And, and it's definitely riding the trend of of what's becoming important for us as a nation and as, and as a people um, is, yeah. is being uh, environmentally friendly in whatever way we can. So, yeah, the, the, other, the other half to our, you know, I'd say secret sauce is the fact that and this, you know, this is not a secret, um, but it has its challenges. You know, the fact that we chose to use a hybrid engine means that we have half the valving and uh, uh, tubing required to launch a rocket. So it's half the complexity to a large degree versus a traditional liquid fuel rocket like you might see on ULA or SpaceX or others. So that fundamentally means that there's like less labor involved and less complications to actually build it. Not that it's not hard because it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just less hard. And uh, we believe ultimately, you know, not only from like a development perspective, is it uh, cheaper, but from an ongoing manufacturing perspective, we think it's going to be cheaper. Um, then, you know, you add on the, the, the fact that it's it, the fuel is so non-toxic and the oxidizer is non-toxic. It's non-cryogenic. Again, you, you can do this at a much lower cost. And it, I, think it, it, um, I think it's forgotten in how much, you know, the, the development phase can, can make or break your business, right? Because you could spend so much money just sort of the logistics and the infrastructure to support the R&D that you don't make it to the point where you can commercialize your product. Uh, so it, going for a liquid rockets, you inherently that, that barrier to entry is it's got to be raised higher because of all the infrastructure you need to have in place just to do the tests. Now, they do have the advantage that there's tons of literature out there to um, to weigh in on how you should design your engine. But still, you know, it's, a, it's still a challenging art to get it just right, even with liquid rockets. One might have heard. So well, one thing I wanted to ask about is so. Rocket, yeah, you know, rocketry is not really a business in Maine until now. Well, um, okay. <laughs> but I was, I was going to say, why why are you doing this in Maine, and what advantage does Maine have in this industry? So it sounds like you were going to say something with the, with the well. Oh, just that um, that we're we're Maine's second rocket company. We're, we're the uh, the first ones to do commercial launch, but uh, Vault Enterprises okay. has been around for a while. How? And any ideas? Yeah, sure. I don't know either. So I don't have an I, just, I don't have an exact number. Um, but there have been rocket companies in in the state for uh, over a decade, well over a decade. And uh, by the main space grant consortium's estimate, there's over 50 aerospace companies in the state. Uh, and nice. uh, you know, if, if you factor in Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, Bath Ironworks, um, uh, Pratt and Whitney. Um, you know, uh, just looking at the, the big companies, we already have a rich history in aerospace. Uh, and then when you start getting into this new space and nano launch, uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit newer, but it, it, you know, maybe it's not what we're known for, but especially since the, the cold war, we actually have a really rich history in aerospace. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to the fact that, uh, well, you know, we get to ask that question, why Maine, um, I think the first question I'd ask right back is why not Maine? I'm in favor of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the other states that have done it. Uh, You know, why Alabama? Why Texas? Why Florida? You can come up with reasons, right? Uh, Florida, I think the weather's nicer. Um, Times of the year, times of the year, times of the year. But, uh, you know, Maine actually 
geographically has an advantage that, uh, for instance, you know, Wallops in Virginia, Cape Canaveral, Texas, all don't have um, easily. And that is the ability to launch into what's called polar orbit, where you would launch either due south or due north, unencumbered by people or property that you would fly over. Uh, you you just don't fly rockets over really expensive houses on the coastline. <laughs> so Maine can we can shoot right off the coast and put things into polar orbit, and we're just going over ocean, and we're either in the ocean or we're in the, or in space by the time uh, we've delivered our payload. So that's our ultimate plan is to be able to start launching these nanosatellites uh, into polar orbit. And, it, um, you know, I think that's an incredible advantage because by a study that was recently done, uh, about 50% of the nanosatellites that want to go to space, they actually want to do these polar orbits, right? And the only places you can be launched from in the U.S. that they allow you to do that are Vandenberg, which is a military base in California, very expensive. There's a lot of restrictions for both the rocket company and for the payloads to go from, to launch from there. Um, and then up in Alaska, there's another location where you can launch from. Again, very logistically expensive. I'm sure it's gorgeous. Uh, but, you know, if the one, if the payload customer wants to re replace a part, uh, UPS does not deliver there next day. <laughs> Your hardware store isn't down the road or in the town next door. So, um, you know, a lot of people think Maine is remote, but uh, there is more remote. And we're, we're all on, we're on Route 1 and we're on I-95. Technically, you can drive past Cape Canaveral and, uh, and hopefully the future Maine spaceport on the same highway someday. That'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be really nice. So, so you launched from Maine. Um, can you take us through a little bit uh, how how the launch went um, day of? And I I think there was there was an initial launch attempt uh, a week or two prior to that, but uh, it looked like there was there was a weather delay. So how, how did everything go? Yeah, the the weather delay uh, that was not that was not our favorite day. Uh, that 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 day, I think our biggest takeaway, and we didn't figure it out really until days later, was uh, you know you should probably talk to a professional when it comes to weather, like a meteorologist. <laughs> so we talked to um, Rocket uh, Russ. Oh shoot, what is <laughs> Russ Farley? Yes, who um, is I guess I guess he's a personality on a couple of radio stations, but meteorologist, professional, knows this stuff. Um, it was very helpful. And he was the one who ultimately got us for the second try, uh, gave us the confidence that we can go, you know, we take the five and a half hour drive up to the northern reaches of Maine and launch. And man, it did not look good when we got out there. When we, we initially went out to the runway and got set up for the day, first of all, it was minus 14. That's a whole nother story. Minus 14 F Fahrenheit. That sounds like you could do cryogenic launches with that. The day before, we literally froze the server, and it was so hard to explain to people until I said, okay, so we're going to let the server thaw overnight. And they're like, oh, that kind of freeze. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it stopped working. <laughs> Our damn router and switch, like, stopped working. Like, fundamentally stopped working. Uh, we literally put, <laughs> I don't know if I should be admitting to this, but we literally put those, you know, those heater packs and you put your gloves yeah. them to the server ahead of time i put a heat shrink gun in there and let that run for hours while we had that it was like we are not shutting this down because of temperature 
Uh, so, if, if you ever do launch on, on a warmer day, it's going to seem so, so much, much easier. easier. <laughs> and, and to be clear, this was more of a budget thing. Like Limestone Loring has excellent facilities. Uh, we could have uh, brought in heated vehicles. Uh, in, in fact, uh, Brooke actually conducted the launch out of his out of his car. Right? They, uh, we basically moved mission control as much as possible into people's. And the reason for that was because his laptop came right. down because it was way too cold. His laptop right. would just, all of our laptops were shutting down. We, even though we could, you know, if we had bare gloves and we were typing, our fingers were frigid. It was the laptops that quit on us too. Yeah. So next a- time we'll have a, a yeah. heated building or an RV or something, you know, it's, so that, uh, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking go fund me for the RV and have maybe an air. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's one of the challenges. That's one of the challenges of launching from Northern Maine in the <laughs> middle of winter. Yeah. That was not the intention. I'm sorry, Seth. Oh, I, kept nothing. I, off. I would just sorry. add that, you know, that the, as, and uh, as frustrating as the weather delay was, you know, because you you wake up and you're like, God, today might be the most important day of my life. And then at three thirty that day, you're like, Nope, this is not. It's not over yet. Um, and you know, so that's that's definitely frustrating. But uh, that kind of a weather delay, uh, you know, we we only had one, and uh, that's you know that that uh, that happens at other spaceports too. So it's it's just, I mean, it was it was rough, but that's it's the nature of. Well, it's funny. I even I. I even mentioned that because, you know, James and I both went to school in Florida. And so, uh, you, you know, James, how many launches have we seen that weren't right. delayed? We, uh, yeah, we, we, we went to school 45 minutes from Cape Canaveral. Right. And, uh, Emory Riddle? Uh, yeah, Florida yeah. Tech. Florida Tech. Oh, hang on. Yeah, do, yeah. So do you know I mean, Commander John Scott, Winston Scott? Is he still the dean of aviation there? He's the, no longer uh, the dean of aviation, but he is still there. Uh, his wife was my C++ wow. professor. Mine as well. Yes, they are in, like so involved in the university. Um, and then we, yes. we we had another professor who was John's advisor who flew on the shuttle twice as well. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. That's really great. That's cool. But but John and I have T-shirts from a launch we went to. It was STS uh, one thirty four, I think. One thirty two. Yeah. We did go to one thirty four. Yeah, we went to one thirty four. We spent all day in Titusville for the launch, oh, and wow. all ready for it, and they canceled it. So, yeah, I mean, we that's had we had tons of time. We never even saw it. <laughs> we were there all yeah. day. So I bet you was above like uh, ten Fahrenheit. Uh, it was like sixty five or seventy that day. <laughs> it was April. But, but with that being said, the fact so so. So where you all are, are based out of, so to speak, right, where your offices are, Rebuild the Rockets, is different from your launch yep. pad, right? So you had to go drive up to, to the launch location. Yes. That, that so, was a question I wanted to ask, too, is you launch from a decommissioned military base, but your office is on a different decommissioned <laughs> yes. military base five hours away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I actually I went to high school for a year and a half in Brunswick. And so, yeah, we're stationed at, you know, the, the HQ is at the Brunswick Naval Air Station. And I remember as a kid, you know, this is where the P3 Orions would fly out, the sub hunters, um, and hunt down the Soviet subs. And uh, you couldn't get on the base unless you had a friend whose parents were on here and get on there. I'd only been on it once as a kid. It, you know, gave me shivers for the first couple of weeks driving on here and feeling like, oh, my God, we're, we're <laughs> we have an office on the old base. <laughs> so. And, and it's been, you know, it, it was quite a hit to the town when the, the Navy shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it a, turned into quite a business park. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 now probably hosting more jobs than it ever has, and certainly high paying jobs. Uh, and the diversity of of companies here is great. Uh, very vibrant, incredibly vibrant. It's 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 really become a shining light within the town. 
and you know, besides besides the folks we work, you know, we have an office over at Tech Place too, which is a incubator that that was key to attracting us because we started the company or I started the company in in Massachusetts, and nobody nobody in Massachusetts really wanted to have anything to do with an aerospace company. Uh, if we were doing biotech or uh, you know pharmaceuticals that type of stuff, Massachusetts is a place to be. But we were literally told by folks. Like you're doing aerospace, go somewhere else, go to Florida, go to Texas, go to California. And it was actually one of those people who told us who ended just at the last minute, minute said, actually, if you're looking for funding for aerospace, you might consider Maine. They have um, they have some uh, interesting programs there through the Maine Technology Institute mm. that um, might be willing to fund some of your, your research. Sure enough, they did. That got us to move. Tech Place was like the perfect place for us. They, they actually, they're one of their... Um, one of their core markets for incubating uh, companies is the aerospace market. They have an incredible machine shop, a welding shop, a, a woodworking shop, and importantly, a composite shop, a layout facility with an oven that we actually helped got to specify so it would fit in our fuselage sections of our, our future rockets. So I had to take a guess years ago, uh, maybe three years ago, to tell uh, Christine uh, Logan what, um, what we were looking for. But we got to use that that same layup facility and oven for Stardust, which you know incredibly fortunate. This is like capital expenses you would you would spend millions of dollars on that we didn't have to spend money on at all, besides like the, you know sort of rental yeah. fees to use it. So it's really really fortunate what we have here in Maine. In fact, our, our lifetime operating costs are are closer to one million. That's called Yankee ingenuity, man. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And, and and also, you all have a fairly small team, right? Like, about what size is your team? So there, there's eight of us who work on this, uh, and there are four of us that effectively do this full time. But of which, really, there are only two of us that get paid for that full time. Uh, so I'm I'm fortunate that you know I'm a CEO of another company, a solar company, and uh, my team has been incredibly patient with me to, while pursuing this love interest of mine. And uh, they've also been incredibly, um, uh, well, Seth, they've been incredibly <laughs> patient with Seth because I, I might have employed him with my solar company as well to do similar activities. So, uh, but he's, he's been dedicated to this. Uh, well, you, you can't have space flight without solar, right? Hand in hand. It is right. <laughs> you can't have bio-derived fuel without mm-hmm. solar. I just want to point that out. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> it's technically petroleum, but whatever. <laughs> Nuclear power, right? <laughs> I think it's it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, again, just watching the video of the accomplishment that you all had given that that team, like you said, uh, approximately two full time workers, and I, I think James and I were aware of how big of an accomplishment that is. Um, it's, it's really really hard to do what you and, guys and did. hats off to Luke Sandin and Brooke Halverson, the team leaders, you know, the, the the two full timers there that um, they they built the. I mean, we helped, but. Um, you know, those, those are the guys like running the Sims, turning the wrenches. Yeah. That is, that is sort of the core technical talent. These guys are, these are not only uh, are they incredibly smart and talented, but um, above all pers- the persevere, the persistence to, for failure. Cause that, that's where this is, you know, when you're doing it at a budget level uh, and you, you're, you, you, know, you make mistakes, you, you, things go wrong that you don't expect. And man, that we have a load of mistakes in the last couple of years. It takes perseverance to, to get there. I mean, we, before we had uh, Luke, um, who's a university of Maine um, mechanical engineering graduate, 
you know, we had Brooke and he and I burnt down the test stand um, three times. <laughs> I mean, they're made of concrete blocks, but uh, but there's a lot of gear that's on there. We we kind of blew that thing. Up. What do you blow it up? This is the wrong word. We'll just call it. We'll just call it like uh, what do you call it? Fast flaming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we uh, we incinerated the test stand a couple times. Every time you do that, that's three or four months lost. And you, uh, I became very close to crying one time mm-hmm. when we we did that. Especially yeah. my fault. Yeah, a huge <laughs> part of building a rocket is psychological because especially on a budget, everything is always on the line. And any mistake could be it. You know, you know, even if it's you know, even if there's still safety margins maintained, that could be the end of the venture. And so to to work under that kind of incredible pressure for six and a half years. And developing a rocket can't be easy because I mean the the point of a rocket is it the flames are trying to escape where right. you want them. I mean, it's, it's trying to blow up on you. Yeah. It's con- a controlled explosion. Exactly. Right. When yeah. you end up hot and yeah. down. Yeah. 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 We, we like to say all about, the, uh, all about the vroom, vroom, not, a, not about the boom, boom. There you go. <laughs> so Seth, you're going to probably be releasing this, right? We had, we had a, we had a oh, um, yes. camera that we weren't sure was going to survive that we put on the, the business end of the rocket. Because I went, man, either the camera's going to be overwhelmed by the flame or it's going to get incinerated, um, even though we kind of uh, shielded it quite a bit. Uh, but it came out really cool. Um, but I think we're going to be releasing it. Uh, yeah, the, the next one is the waffle cam. Uh, so one of our, one of our clients um, uh, flew some Stroop waffles uh, with us and uh, just kind of wanted to see how they would behave in a pseudo-microgravity. And uh, so they, they kind of floated around beautifully and people are just asking what happened with the Stroop waffles? What happened with the Stroop waffles? So, um, so we're going to uh, release that video uh, this afternoon. And then uh, probably this evening we'll do the, uh, uh, the, the down view from, from right next to the engine. Um, are, are those like Stroop waffles, like the food? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Dutch wafer cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a Dutch dessert. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I was, I was watching the, uh, the live stream the day you got scrubbed and you were talking about that. And at first my thought was kind of, that's a little weird. And then it went to a little, they're good. I enjoy them. I, I can appreciate this. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, Dave Whitting, the, he's the CEO of rocket insight in, in there in Massachusetts. Uh, fantastic sense of humor. Uh, you know, he's, he's trying to inspire his employees uh, who, uh, you know, kind of extra buttoning down due to COVID and trying to do something fun with them. And he reached out to us and he said, hey, we'd like to sponsor a rocket launch and pay for one of your payload areas. And, and we're like, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, he, he not only not only do they have Stroopwafel, they had tourmaline. So it's like the, uh, mm-hmm. a tourmaline and a little, actually it's literally behind me. That's uh, that's the main stage. I'm sorry, but I had to, I had to ship this out yesterday to him. The Stroopwafel survived, as you can see. You can't see in here, but the tourmaline, He's going to mount this onto up with some sort of, um, I don't know, something to give to his employees and just yeah, little plaques. Uh, yeah, yeah it, little plaques. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah, my absolute favorite part is you know everybody, the entire industry is like, how can you dampen the vibrations of rocket launch? It's not good for the payloads. Uh, in fact, one of our other clients, Kellogg's Research Labs, is working on this whole new technology to do exactly that. And that's what they were testing with this flight. And meanwhile, Rocket Insights is just like leaning into it. And they're like, oh, we're going to use the vibration to tumble rocks. It'll be <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, Kellogg Research Labs is the ones that's a vertically integrated uh, nitinol producer. So they, they make the actual nitinol and then they'll manufacture it. And, uh, you know, they wanted to demonstrate um, their product in use uh, in a relevant environment, so in this case, a rock environment, because they have a whole bunch of ideas all the way from, you know, actuating uh, valves to like actually making the whole infrastructure out of nitinol. Um, I call it like vibranium. I, uh, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but it's, uh, I guess it, one of the properties is it absorbs vibration and converts it to heat. That sounds like Captain America's shield to me. <laughs> That's vibranium. That's what they have. Real quick, before it's time for us to go, uh, what's the future hold for Blue Shift Aerospace? What, what's next? Yeah, so the plans are, um, we're working on the engineering of it right now. Uh, you know, we've, we've, first of all, I just, should say we did download the data from uh, Stardust 1.0 flight. It was all nominal. It was it was very similar to the way we had all the engine tests we'd done. So we felt really good about that. So right now we're specking out Stardust 2.0, and 2.0 will be it will be our full size engine. And the way to think of it is that Stardust 2.0 will hold one engine, and that will become our fundamental like Lego building block for every rocket commercial rocket come after that. So. Uh, it'll become the engine that we use. That Marvel engine will be what we put in parallel, stack in parallel on the Starless Rogue for suborbital flight uh, and then for Red Dwarf for uh, orbital uh, launches. So we um, we are already looking, uh, if anybody's interested, we're, especially your academic payloads, um, we are looking for customers to fly with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already got a couple. Yeah, we have two already. Uh, and uh, we are looking to fill up our payload bay, uh, potentially up to 30 kilograms. How many bays is that? Uh, well, technically it's about uh, 20U of um, CubeSat volume. Mm, okay. Yeah, and 1U is about 10 centimeters cubed, just to kind of give you a sense. Okay. So it's approximately that. Um, and the payload bay will have up to a 24 volt, 24 volt, 24 uh, inch diameter. Uh, so quite a, quite a broad, it'll be a much wider rocket than what, what you guys saw in Stardust 1.0. Um, but we we will go to space. So with any luck, we'll be the first ones to space using a bio-derived fuel. Knock on wood. Are you guys involved in the possible development of a main spaceport? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's an important part of uh, uh, our future. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's look we're looking. Uh, well, I can say this much. Uh, the. The main space grant consortium is heading up a, a, a team, in which we're a part of, to develop a main spaceport to take advantage of the polar launch ability, but also develop a, you know a strong new space industry here in Maine, supporting uh, CubeSat companies, supporting you know software companies that support new space, whatever it may be. And I think that combined with the Maine Technology Institute, um, the Lorraine Air Force Base, the former Lorraine Air Force Base. Here at Brunswick Landing, the former Naval Station, uh, the launch facilities, which we expect to have both in Loring and off the coast of Maine. I think there's a lot of potential for new entrepreneurs, whether they're from Maine or not, or they just love Maine, they want to work, work and live here, which we all love. Um, I think there's a real bright future here for Maine. And, and as I like to say, the future of, of aerospace will have the words made in Maine on it. And you saw that. I saw that uh, on your rocket. Much. Dagon it. It said made Maine. Dagon, have it. <laughs> That's a proud brand right there. <laughs> there yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Fantastic. <laughs> That's the main thing. Sorry. That might have been yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I will be. So for the first rocket uh, that you all send to space, um, are we using the Carmen line as the boundary of space here? Yeah. Fantastic. We, I, that's that, 62 miles. 100, yeah, 100 kilometers. 100 kilometers yeah. Nice round yeah. number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's one I can remember easily. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. And we were hoping to, that particular launch, um, you know, we're still doing the, the analysis on it, but uh, d- depending on how the engine actually shapes up, um, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be probably 15 seconds or so of zero G time. Um, but our plan is with Starless Rogue, so it'll be the full commercial vehicle after Stardust 2.0. We will offer our customers up to six or eight minutes of zero G time, which is double any, what any other company, Blue Origin or Up Aerospace, et cetera, those guys offer. So really valuable research um, opportunity for academic and civil, civil research customers. And anybody else do any future Stroopwafel missions? Yes. <laughs> can you can you keep well? When do you have to change from you know doing the Loring Air Force Base to someplace over water? Uh, Stardust two point Yeah, that we were we were bumping up against boundary conditions, physical boundaries actually, with with Stardust one We actually had to we had to shut down our engine early, kind of underpower it because we didn't want to go too high because the dispersion might land us into bad places so, so, you, so you're, you're really worried about where it's going to land that's that's the problem. oh yeah whether or not the rocket goes up i mean it's coming down yeah yeah you just don't want to come down in somebody's house yeah or well there's a federal uh refuge right right next to the runway and we we had to do a lot of analysis to make sure we avoided landing there they did not want us to land there is that why you didn't launch in brunswick was there's too close yep. to civilization yep. we'll probably Absolutely. never do a vertical launch in brunswick although you could launch off of an aircraft uh using their runway there so where is your next launch site, or is that still to be determined? Well, well uh, I'm in, I am deep in conversation with uh, one particular institute right now. I can't reveal it at this time because it's one that's not it's not a done deal. Uh, they are very open to what we're doing. I think it would be a, a beautiful experience for our customers because, especially in the suborbital industry, the customers like to come with their payload when it gets launched because they're maybe doing last minute tweaks. Can't think of a more beautiful area of Maine, although all of Maine's beautiful. Um, than to be on the coastline uh, for a launch. So uh, we're thinking it's going to be a wonderful experience. I can tell you this much. It's going to be somewhere between Bar Harbor and Cutler, Maine. Okay. Yes. And not too close to Bar Harbor because (laughs) too many houses. So let's go a little further because, but yeah, you could probably fly into Bar Harbor on Cape Air with your payload and uh, drive to our uh, launch facilities um, within an hour. Nice. And I say there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a few good spots through mm-hmm. there. Yeah, stay tuned. What we're going to do, we're shooting for doing this within a year. So, uh, but it's all hinges on getting enough funding. We're doing a convertible note round for six six fifty thousand. So it's not much really in the aerospace world, and we're going to need that much and more to get through to the next to this next launch. So stay nice. tuned. Fantastic. Well, on, on that note, um, for any of the listeners, uh, would you all uh, just give you all an opportunity uh, if, if they want to want to follow you or, or find videos or, or find news updates? Where can they go? Well, uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, YouTube, of course. So if you reach out on any of those platforms, uh, you'll get a hold of me that way. Um, and then uh, we also have a contact form on our website, blueshiftaerospace.com. Or you can just type in blueshiftarrow and it'll redirect.
Remember, Blue Shift is uh, doesn't have an E with the. Blue. Oh yeah, that's gotten folks before. All right. Well, there you have it. Any uh, any 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 uh, last comments then? Before- John, I, I think we I think we ought to. Well, go. I, I say we have one more question that we love to ask people. Oh my um, goodness, I almost forgot. Oh, my favorite question. Oh boy. <laughs> Apologies, everyone. Oh is, we've I done knew. this in every episode we've done. So um, okay, hold, hold this back. is this is the most important one. the whole The, the whole episode has been leading up to this. So this is just, <laughs> uh, you both have to answer. Uh, uh, Seth and Sasha, what is your favorite pizza topping? Oh God, curveball! Ah, <laughs> uh, garlic. Really? <laughs> like, it just doesn't taste good unless there's garlic. I mean, I love all, lots of other, but if you had to choose one that's going to be on there, it's going to be my key ingredient. I got to have the garlic in there. Like minced garlic, just pieces yeah. of garlic? No, no, like minced garlic. Well, you know, I'll take either one, but minced garlic kind of spreads the love everywhere. Interesting. I mean, even if you put whole cloves on and bake it out, you know, that's that's perfectly good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody will be next to me for the next day or two, but, you know, I'll enjoy it for sure. <laughs> Seth, I see you deep in thought. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, you, you can never go wrong with just more cheese. So, oh yeah, more yeah. more cheese. <laughs> more cheese. Some people don't like when I say this, but my answer is a cheese pizza. So maybe that's no answer, but uh, you know, <laughs> normal pizza. What about you, James? I'm uh, pepperoni. Yeah, just, you know, mm. nice simple classic. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, okay, definitely. now I'm officially hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, here on the East Coast, it's lunchtime in a few minutes. So. Yeah, this could be breakfast food. This would be like cold pizza for the yeah. morning. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, we've answered the most important questions. So I think we've, we've done our job yeah. here. Um, just want to extend another round of thanks for you all for, uh, for joining yeah. us. Thank you, John. Thank James. you so much for having us on the show. And uh, I think that we're just seeing the start of what Blue Shift can do and, and what Maine can do. Here, here. That's hope. All right. We'll, we'll look forward to seeing uh, what happens next. It'll be a blast. I had to. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, sorry. It's a disease. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. And take care. Thanks for listening. <laughs>